for some of them. So verse 3 in the slide here, it says they seized Peter and John because it was evening. All right, we got to grab them. We don't want them to escape. And who's they? It's, it's the, the people there. They seized John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail. And then the next day, they're asked about the power that they were able to heal the man. And so Peter repeats what was said in the previous chapter. He's like, it was all this stuff, is this stuff. And then it leads to one of the most important verses in all of Scripture, I believe, Acts 4, 12, which is on the screen. It says, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name given to men by which we must be saved. That's it. The question of life is, who is Jesus to you? That's it. Who is Jesus to you? That is the core question. And your life will demonstrate who he is. Your life will say who Jesus is to you. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. <laughs> that brings us to today, right? The next, very next verse. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished. And they took note. Okay, these guys are wild. But there's something about them. They, I remember they were with Jesus. Hmm. They were with Jesus. Did he sprinkle them with pixie dust? Now they were with him. Unschooled, ordinary. There's a paradox again, right? Regular guys, miracles. Regular guys, miracles. God using regular people to do miracles. I think this is the key to their confusion and their bewilderment. Verse 14, next slide, it says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Uh, next one. Yep, there you go, poor. Thank you, sorry. Um, they knew the beautiful guy. They knew the guy who was hanging out at the beautiful gate. They knew, everybody knew him. And they had nothing to say. There was evidence. Like if they say it was Jesus who, who healed this guy, they, they got nothing. <laughs> Imagine stumping a politician. Politicians always got something. Something to say in response. And these guys were kind of like that. We'll get that into a second. And so verse 15, they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. So the Sanhedrin's made up of two groups, really, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees believe in everything in the Old Testament that we believe in. That's it. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in resurrection. Those are two biggies they don't like. Very proper, very rich usually, and politicians. And then you've got the Pharisees. They believe in resur resurrection and miracles and stuff. They even believe in some extra stuff. They, they, after Jesus, they formed something called like the Mishnah. Maybe you've heard of the Mishnah or Talmud, Jewish stuff that, that people still believe, oral traditions. So it wasn't just like, we're like, this is it. The text is it, right? And, and that's what the, the Sanhedrin was. And so when you see these two groups battle, you're always going to see one of those matters come up, resurrection, miracles. And so here, the Sanhedrin's like, ah, What's going on? So can you imagine a bunch of smart, wealthy people getting together and trying to make sense of something? <laughs> Sounds like Congress. Um, that'd be quite a little Twitter X conversation. Um, they, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. W what are we going to do with these men, they ask in verse 16, the next slide, I think. Um, Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. And we can't deny it. Has anyone seen in you something that God's performed that they cannot deny? And do they know? Have you told them? Because it was asked, it was Jesus of Nazareth. 
That takes boldness, doesn't it? We, we, we find ourselves putting, uh, we, I mean, we put ourselves in the position of Peter and John here, right? We, we oftentimes we're like, I want to know what it was like to be the good guys. But what if it was like, what was it like to be this guys in the Sanhedrin? Whenever you're reading scripture, sometimes it's fun to go, I wonder what it was like for the guys who were down at the bottom of the mountain when Abraham brought Isaac up to be sacrificed. And they bring wood and his son and no animal. They're going, uh, where's the sacrifice? Like, wait a second. I know this. Wait. So sometimes when we put ourselves in this story, we can kind of empathize, sympathize with what these guys are going through. and go, oh, my goodness. This is crazy. These normal dudes have stumped them. And this broken 40-year-old guy was now beautifully healed. There's no framework for this. Have you ever come to a point where you've never, you just don't have a framework for what you're encountering? A lot of times it happens like in the moment. And sometimes it happens and you know it's coming and you don't know what to make of it. This is what happened to me yesterday. And I'll share more about it later. But I did not have a framework. It was like sometimes, oh, I can compare it to this. It's like, oh, it's this. But then there's no framework for something, and you're like, oh, no. Now, obviously, when you're, when you're growing up, uh, maybe up to, to 20 or something like that, you, you, develop, you don't have a framework for a lot of things. But then you start to go, ah, oh, I, can, I can see, I can picture, I can, all right, cool. That's where the political leaders were. They don't have a framework for this. It doesn't make sense. I love that God doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's the greatest paradox of all, isn't it? I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. And yet you give your love away. You give us grace. Like, it it doesn't make sense. So verse 17, but to stop this thing from uh, spreading any further among the people, here it is, we got to warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Because that'll work. (laughs) Don't do it. So then they called him in again. They commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I mean, we leave, we laugh at this, right? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. You're not going to speak anymore in Jesus. Of course, Peter and John respond as they do. They say, Peter and John, says Peter and John replied in verse 19, 20, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't, uh, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You know, it's a simple but bold response. They're not jerks about it either. It's like, I, what do we do? I mean, we're, we're, we're stuck too. Do we, do we submit to you or do we submit to God? Like, look what he did. You, you guys be the judges, but I, I just can't see. I can't help talk, talking about what we've seen and heard. You, I, listen, I need to listen to God, not you. I, I mean, if you can tell me this was something else, like you can explain this to me, I'm all ears. But I think it's God. What did you say? I can't not talk about him. So uh, verse 21, after further threats, they let him go. (laughs) All right, you better not do that or else we're going to grab you again and tell you not to do that. (laughs) They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. And he used these guys, so they didn't know what to do. It's like this great stuff happened. It's these guys, they shouldn't be doing this. This is messing with our framework. And, you know, this man was miraculously healed. He was over 40 years old. I wonder how long he was there. We don't know. Man. 40 years old, never walking, and walking like, ooh, <laughs> what are these things trying to do that? So I said earlier, it says that he was leaning on them, which I think is interesting. 
So, so there's a serious principle at play, and um, I jest sometimes. I say you're welcome and sorry. I, I think that's this moment here because when I look at this, I kind of get a little scared. There's beauty and there's boldness. We read this and we think, yeah, like they're going to stop talking about Jesus. But how many of our jobs hear something like, you can't bring up your faith here? I would venture to say that many places imply, but don't specify, that you can't integrate faith. And that's all it needs to shut us down. Can you not help but point to Jesus at what he's done in life. Look at, it's so simple. We read this, we glance it, we run right through it. Oh, yay, they won, yeah. But they were bold. They were nice about it. And they were like, I can't not do this. You know, we, we look at our limitations and we put them on others. Like, they won't let me do that. Really? Have you tried? We think, oh, this is gonna backfire on me. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna lose my job over this. Let me tell you why. I work with healthcare professionals who are willing to do the boldest of things. It's crazy. And the expectations are ridiculous sometimes. I, I don't care if you're at the front desk to you're a guy doing surgery. The expectations are crazy. I get to work in that lane and I help people live out their faith through their work. So I'm challenging and encouraging you. Will you be so bold in a beautiful way as to share about Jesus? Why? Because of what he's done. If, if, he's, if he's done anything in you, share about it. Now, I say that, and it's really funny because this week's Thanksgiving, and I don't know about you, but families, <laughs> when it comes to sharing about faith, I've been in a few fights with families at, at Thanksgiving. <laughs> so let's focus for some of you on the beautiful. And for others, maybe you got to say something. Maybe they have no idea you're walking with Jesus now. Maybe you have no idea. Am I walking with Jesus now? So there's two passages we often talk about this in Christian circles, right? We have this one in Ephesians. Do I have that on the slide? I think I do. Ephesians 4.15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head that is Christ. Now, this is talking about like equipping the saints. and they, So we, it's talking about the church. So to other believers, what do we do? We speak the truth in love. And so oftentimes we hear out in the culture, we need to speak truth in love. And really what we're doing is we're speaking truth, but we're really Speak the truth. Oh, mic drop on you. Now you're going to follow what I say. Right. You're a jerk. Colossians 2, 4 to 6, and I'm going to read um, verse 5. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. May your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Hmm. I think a lot of us are graceful because we're scared and we're not willing to throw the spice on it, not willing to throw salt on the wound because we don't want to hurt anybody. How are they going to know Jesus? You know, Romans talks about this. Uh, Romans says something along the lines of, I'm skipping ahead, I think. Uh, I don't even think I have the text there. That's okay. Um, Romans says, Faith comes from hearing, and the hearing from the word of Christ. How can they know about Christ if they don't hear the word? 
that's, that's a hard thing. And so you've got this speaking the truth in love, and you've got this seasoned with salt. I, I was listening to a guy named uh, Professor George. He's out of Princeton. And I was listening to this, and he's talking about courage. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I struggle with courage. Maybe you're in that lot too. And I want to be nice, and I want to, like, ruin the reputation somebody has of Christians who think Christians are jerks. I'm like, so I'm going to be nice, and that'll change it. And then there's like, so the, so, the, so the opposite of courage that's jerky, is that a word? Not beef, uh, is winsome, right? There's this popular word. I love it. I love it. You winsome, you kind of win some. To cry. I, I don't know. It's just a term. So I'm thinking about it, and he's talking about it, and he's really pushing courage. And I went, you know what? I probably need to be more courageous. And I thought all of what he was talking, I came up with this phrase that I think could actually tweet, so you can use it. But if you're winsomeness without courage, it can lead to cowardice. I don't know. Do I have a slide for that? I think I do. If you're winsome without courage, it can be, it can be masking cowardice. But if you're courageous without winsomeness, it may be perceived as cantankerous. You can tweet it. It's fine. <laughs> but it was Professor George where I got this idea, and I was working out, and I'm just like, huh, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? And I think we all err on the side of winsomeness or courage. And I think we have to push ourselves to be on one side or the other. And if we don't know, ask a friend, where am I at? Am I willing to be bold or am I too concerned about being beautiful? <laughs> it's a tough balance to say the least. This guy was helpless for years. Boldness was given to him. I mean, I don't know about these guys going, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Like, how did they know that they were actually going to, it was going to work? <laughs> right? I mean, that was a risk that they took. The interesting thing is they impacted this guy, but they also impacted so many people who witnessed it. And you just never know that when you say something to one person, it won't have a rippling impact on many. You just don't know. I mean, how many of you have a job and you, you help somebody and you don't know what, how that might impact somebody else, right? We all do. And, and we know it does, but we'll never see it. I think that's something that God might allow us to do when we get to, to, to be with him in eternity is get to see all that he's done through us. I mean, that's really, that's humbling. That's cool. Aren't you looking forward to that? Don't blow it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's a matter of, of humble. And I think the extremes are, you know, being a pansy and being a jerk. And we don't want to be either. And, and we can't help how people see us, honestly. But we can choose to approach matters more from the standpoint of beauty or boldness. Beauty, or excuse me, boldness without beauty is probably bullying. And beauty without boldness is blah. Sorry, I couldn't think of a B. <laughs> uh, and, and here's the thing. Like, if I'm, if I'm going to talk about this, um, I kind of have to share how God's been doing it in me. And um, I absolutely love that we lift up the word of God first. And we say, hey, God, what are you doing in this? And as we often know, God takes timing of things and, and he's says, all right, this is going to happen in your life, and I'm going to put it into play. And so as I've been studying this all week and stuff, I've been absolutely, um, like, been in a rough place this week. Yesterday was one of the most exhausting days of my life, and I'm reading just so I don't lose my place. Um, as I traveled home, I told my wife, I need to finish the sermon I'm writing. And she responded with, um, today you lived a sermon, and I think it just wrote itself. I don't really know what she meant by that. 
But my, pro- my response was, yeah, but the text was given to me. So I want the word to speak, not me. And so I finished writing. I only had a little bit left yesterday when I got home. And as God does so often, what I learned was a combination of things I completely failed at. <laughs> I needed to learn. I was afraid about the outcome. And ultimately, I saw God's hand in a powerful way. If the text says we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard, I guess I need to do that. And today, that's all what I want. That's all I want to talk about, uh, or that that's what I want to talk about the rest of the time, if I can. It's extremely emotional. Um, as many of you know, we had foster boys for two years, um, who we lost pretty suddenly back in March. It's been quite a season of reflection. It even produced a book. I wrote a book, about 175 pages. My wife's in the process of, of proofreading it, and then I'm going to send it out to some people to edit. Um, it's about foster care. Um, I didn't think I'd ever do that, uh, and I honestly thought we'd never see those boys again. The court told us we needed to wait six months before contacting the family. Long story short, it's an oxymoron. We saw them yesterday. Um, here's a comparison of them eight months ago. Um, oh, here's the day they left. Uh, I got a picture of the day they left. Paul, if you're able to grab that. I think it's in there. It's not. It's a bummer. I had pictures. So I'm going to describe it in words. Picture this. Um, the day they left, they were probably 50, 60 pounds. Um, today, they're... 80 and 70. They haven't grown a lot taller. I would say they're swole, but they're beyond swole. They've been eating junk food, lots of it. They look like different people. I didn't recognize them. It was really hard. My daughter posted something on Instagram, and it was like, here's the exact same pose that she had the day they left and the day they are now. And you're like, are those the same kids? And part of me was just heartbroken. Okay, a big part of me was heartbroken. Um, some of the stuff that we put in, though, hasn't changed. It's still there, and we're so grateful for that. I was so nervous this week. I, every time I thought about it, I started crying. And, I, like, not uncontrollably, but I couldn't get it back. Just like, I don't want to see them. I, it feels like you do all this work, and it's for, for nothing. Like, what? We were called to love kids, and now they were taken. I don't get it. And yet it was like, okay, well, maybe God wanted me to produce a book. Maybe God wanted me to speak, as I've spoken recently on it. Um, I knew that I I was just going to have to go to the bathroom and just cry and then come back and wipe my face. And I was pacing, my kids told me later, as they were approaching the place we went to. And so I I saw them, and um, I got down on, uh, you know, like the catcher position in baseball. And I saw they were coming at me hard. And I realized, I'm not going to survive this. <laughs> I put down my knee and I braced. And I didn't fall over, which I thought was a miracle. Um, and so the kids went and played. We picked a public place, lots of people around. And then the mom and dad were sat. So we sat there um, for well over an hour. There was no tears. I was shocked. I was like, I'm in the midst of this. I'm like, Lord, how am I doing this? How am I doing this? My wife's sitting there. And this couple, and I had a picture, but there aren't, they aren't like us in any way. Like, we're both white. That's about it. Like, seriously. Um, and yet I love them. I want the best for them. 
in may in many ways I, I was like they don't deserve to have him back i don't I, I want my boys back and god changed my heart i am genuinely happy for them and i expressed as such and not only that i was we drove we ended up taking them out to lunch as we drove to where we went to lunch i i told my wife i am so grateful for this mom and dad that they would let us still be part of these kids' lives. I was just overcome with nervousness and, and, and anxiety and just what's going to happen. And then it was like, oh, my word. Lord, you've given us a gift that we never thought we'd have. So they said, oh, why don't you take them for the afternoon? <laughs> We're like, <laughs> like, they don't have a lot of family around. They wanted a break. So we did. We brought them home. It was insane. We had them for over two hours, and we were so exhausted. And we said, how did we do two years? <laughs> Our daughter Katie made this really nice dinner for everybody, and, and, and we sat down together. Some people were, like, already starting to munch, and others and uh, having dug in for a few moments. And I think the next slide says the word that was the word of the day for me. Uh, is it a white slide, maybe, that says um, anything, Paul? I don't know if it's there. Nope. Okay, that's fine. No more slides. You don't need them. It's the very philosophical word, um, that was it. We, our little guy looked up and he went, um, <laughs> like, duh, guys, aren't we going to pray? <laughs> Glory to God. This was a kid from for the thir first three months we had him, every time we went to pray, he would scream. He wanted nothing to do with God. His mom's a witch. That happens. Wiccan. So we brought him a big Halloween gift. We were like, all right, they love this holiday. We're going to celebrate it. We're not going to put any Wiccan stuff in there, but we're just going to love on them. And that's what started this. My wife brought this gift over, and she saw them, and it was the most disturbing thing for her. So I had seen pictures going into tomorrow knowing that it wasn't that it wasn't going to be pretty. So we drove him home the, ten, the 11 miles. We dealt with the chaos in the back seat. It was just my wife and I. And as we're coming back, we reflected on it. We went into foster care to help kids. I had no desire, no desire to help this family that must have done something to pull their kids. And the something, sadly, was that a, a, their brother died. He was killed in the home. Sympathy for them, yes. I wouldn't want to lose a kid. But minister to them? No way. The idea was real Christian, like, oh, yeah, we're going to. But I had no desire, and I had no capability or capacity. But God. And his ability to love everybody involved in this situation, friends, he's changed my heart. He didn't just get me through yesterday. He's built a strength, a desire, and an opportunity to do something that I never would have imagined. God has changed our calling to kids in abusive situations to the ones from whom they were taken. I don't like it, but I have to do it. We want to love this family. We, we ultimately want them to know Jesus. That's, that's our heart. And so we've begun to look for a church near them where folks who look like them um, are there where they might feel more comfortable. Um, 
And we'd love to get it to where we can pick up the boys every Sunday morning and take them to church. We'd love to get it to invite them, mom and dad, maybe even Christmas. I, I can't express to you what God has done in me even in the last 24 hours. He's changed me from a person who was mad at these parents to wanting to parent them in their parenting and be intentional in ways that I had no desire to do. I wanted to want that. I wanted to. I knew that was what we needed to do, but I didn't want it. I told my, my wife this morning as I was coming here, I'm a different man. God changes bodies like he did this guy, but more powerfully, God changes hearts. And it's not a one-time thing. Maybe you're born again, but you could be born again, 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 again. I've been a Christian 30 years, and myself, I find myself like that again, 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 God doing stuff. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, I dare you to, to put yourself out there and be bold, to see, to see beauty where maybe it's not. <laughs> Look for opportunities for God to work at where you're already living. He's at work. Sometimes we just need to look at it. Look at, listen for ways he's at work and put yourself out there. And, and tell of what God's done in your life. Don't let people deter you for silly reasons. These guys did it. And Peter and John stepped up and it changed the world. Even if it's a simple thing, tell. What's simple to you might be grand to others and vice versa. Be bold about it in a beautiful way. Love with truth to Christ. Love with truth, love and truth to Christ followers. But let your grace and conversation be seasoned, well, your, your, your talk be graceful and seasoned with salt to those who are outsiders. And it says in that text, make the most of every opportunity. That's what Peter and John were, and that's what God's calling us to be. I, I pray you will live in whatever paradox God is calling you to live today. They were both beautifully bold and somehow boldly beautiful. <laughs> it takes both. And it's all possible because it's God's deal. He's doing it. We just get to be a part of it. And that's pretty exciting and humbling. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this body, for this family that, and, that I'm able to share with and, and not have any risk. And um, I thank you, God, that you continue to work in all of our hearts in ways that we, we can't imagine. God, I pray you'd open us up to do the radical in a faithful way. We want to be we want to be faithful. We don't want to just do dumb things to do dumb things because God told me to, but we want to just be we want to be obedient. That's what you've called us to, Jesus. Thank you for the paradox of the cross that it brings life for for a tomb that's empty. It makes no sense. And yet God, your love doesn't either. And so we thank you for it. We pray that it would propel us that we would we'd have that that paradox living out of our lives and that we can give you the praise and you the glory and point people just like Peter and John did to you saying, this is what it's about. It's about you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>